Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast, where your source for personal, professional, and organizational growth and development, where we share original research, explore industry trends, and interview executives and thought leaders from across the globe. We hope you join us often for practitioner-oriented content around all things related to leadership, HR, talent management, organizational development, and change management. Maximize your personal and organizational potential with Human Capital Innovations Podcast. Do you enjoy the Human Capital Innovations Podcast? Enjoy ad-free listening by going to the Patreon page, and please consider contributing even at the producer or sponsorship level. And please leave a review. Thank you for your support. Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. In this HCI podcast episode, I talk with Joshua Hawks Lads about why restrictive covenants or non-competes are a hot topic right now in employment law. Joshua Hawks, lads, welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. Thank you. Glad to be here. It is a pleasure to be with you. I'm super excited to chat with you about HR law, and particularly, we're going to be talking about restrictive covenants or non-competes. That's a pretty hot topic. Uh, It's something that I talk with my students about in my HR courses on a fairly frequent basis, and I'm, I'm just excited to learn the latest and the greatest around this topic and how important it is for all of us as we're striving to to run dynamic, healthy, um, innovative organizations that are also compliant with the labor laws and uh, requirements that we all face. As we get started, I wanted to share Josh's bio with everybody. Joshua Hawks Lads is co-chair of the Labor Employment Law and Employee Benefits Department at the law firm Pullman and Comley. He practices in Connecticut, New York, Massachusetts, and Rhode Island, and serves as outside general counsel to numerous companies nationwide. Josh is a trained arbitrator, skilled litigator, and regularly negotiates collective bargaining agreements, employment agreements, and severance compensation packages involving executives of some of the largest U.S. and international companies. Uh, It's a tremendous background, Josh. Anything else you would like to share with listeners by way of your background or personal context before we dive on into the conversation? No, John, I think that's a a great summary. Thanks. Okay, perfect. So let's start with, I mean, I'm guessing that most listeners are at least somewhat familiar with this idea of restrictive covenants or non-competes. Some jobs are more likely to have those in place than others, but why don't you lay out for us what exactly those are, and then we can talk about the types of situations where they're more common, and then some of the the tricky aspects of dealing with these. Sure. Happy to. It's a very broad topic, and so let me, let me start, if you don't mind, with a little bit of history that... Um, Hundreds of years ago, uh, non-compete agreements were invalid. They, they were treated as uh, restraints on trade, and they were not permitted. In the 1700s, um, that started to change a little bit. And in America, uh, in the late 1700s and into the 1800s, restraints on trade, such as non-compete agreements, 
um, started to gain some traction and a little bit of uh, more became a little bit more in vogue, but still not um, really accepted in a general context. And the reason for that is because non-compete agreements are a restraint on trade, right? So they prevent um, a person from leaving one job and going to work for a competitor. Uh, and what is America? America is a capitalistic society. We believe in capitalism, most of us. Uh, we, uh, we believe in the free flow exchange of information, the free flow exchange of ideas, and we believe that competition is good for um, capitalistic, uh, a capitalistic economy such as ours. So a, a non-compete agreement naturally goes against um, the free flow competitive nature of, of our economy and what we, what we usually think of, oh, hey, I can go work anywhere I want, right? It's a free country. And so non-compete agreements are a very unique contract because they restrain someone from going to work for who, whomever they want. They restrain someone from going to work for a competitor so long as the agreement is valid under the local law or uh, various contractual restrictions. The federal government sometimes puts uh, restrictions on non-compete agreements for their contractors. So there's a lot of exceptions. So with that background, um, here's the general rule. And, and remember, it's a general rule because almost every state has its, its own law um, or follows a common law, but the, the cases interpret the law, common law in various ways. So the general proposition is that a non-competition agreement is valid so long as the state you're in says it's valid um, if it protects a legitimate business interest of the employer who required that you sign it. It's number one, and that's really the most important part of it, except for um, many people look at the next three elements of a non-compete as the most important, but really that's the number one thing we look at when we're in, uh, attempting to enforce a non-compete or seeing whether it's valid. So legitimate business interest of the employer has to be protectable and protected and must be legitimate. It has to be reasonable in its scope relating to the time restraint and the geographic restraint. And it cannot be a, um, an uh, unduly restricted. It cannot actually be a restraint on trade preventing the employee from actually working um, or it could be void as against public policy. So that's the general law, but it's interpreted that those laws, the, the, those elements are interpreted in many, many, many different ways by um, different courts uh, around the country. And the trend now is for states to limit non-competes in certain arenas. So for example, there are numerous new laws that have come on the books just since 2021 and earlier in states such as Nevada, Massachusetts, Washington, Rhode Island, Maine. Uh, California, of course, was the first state, many people already know this, to out just generally prohibit non-competes. Um, because of it, uh, the non-competes effect on competition. Um, but numerous other states have um, enforced either um, very, very difficult limits. Uh, Massachusetts is one of them, uh, which requires what's called garden leave, um, that, that an employee who um, is, the employer's intending to bound an employee to non-compete must actually pay the employee during that period that the employee is no longer working during the restricted period. So the trend is um, to limit non-competes. And that has also, that trend has gone to the federal level where last year 
last summer, um, uh, President Biden issued an executive order uh, attempting to get the uh, United States Department of Labor to promulgate a regulation that would limit non-competes in certain uh, aspects, although that hasn't gone very far. Um, and, and I'll say one more thing, and then I'll take another question, and we can delve into some of these elements are, are really what at the crux of enforcing a non-compete. But uh, part of the reason why the non-compete enforcement is somewhat cyclical and non-compete legislation is cyclical is because of the economic times we're in, right? Right now, every employer is fighting for human capital. Every employer is fighting for that employee who they uh, see as their next great thing. And the current employer doesn't wanna lose that, that employee. So that current employer is trying to fight to either keep that employee or not permit that employee to go to its competitor. Why? Well, as I said, because the human capital is very, very, um, restricted right now during this economy, and two, because um, one of the intentions of a non-compete is to protect the employer's confidential information, the employee's, I'm sorry, employer's trade secrets. Um, now, we always, everyone knows about non-disclosure agreements and confidentiality agreements, um, but once the employee leaves the employer, while that NDA and the non-disclosure, that the confidentiality agreement has value, the surest way to prevent an employee from taking secrets with, with him or her is by preventing him or her from leaving or from going to the competitor at all. So em employers, companies really want to protect their business plans, their, their um, information relating to their customer bases, their customer relationships, um, and all these things are fall into that category that I started this, uh, this explanation with of legitimate business interests to protect. So if an employer can uh, demonstrate that um, it has these legitimate interests and it requires a restrictive covenant in the form of a non-competition agreement, and there are, there are lesser restrictions such as non-solicitation agreements that are out there as well, but let's just focus on non-competes. Um, if the employer can establish that they have a legitimate interest in protecting this information or this customer base or this um, business plan or this, this the, the secret sauce, then um, a court may um, enforce a non-compete. But if an employer cannot establish that it actually has legitimate reason to prevent an employee from going to work for a competitor, assuming the non-compete agreement is valid in all of its other uh, formal uh, aspects, the, the reasonableness, et cetera. Um, if the employer cannot establish that, then the, um, a court will not enforce it. And that's a, that's a whirlwind tour of non-competes. Yeah, no, that's super helpful. I appreciate both the historical context as well as the laying the groundwork for really the, the current situation and really the pendulum swings, right, that we we tend to see. And I think it's interesting, too, as, as we think about um, politically, if we think about political ideologies overlapping with this free market ideology of, you know, of capitalism, um, we might expect to see laws looking a little bit differently from state to state than the way they are 
which I think is an intriguing question in and of itself. We don't need to dive into that um, more specifically uh, today, uh, but just I, I just bring that up to, to highlight the fact that this doesn't go uh, strictly across party lines, you know, as we look at red versus blue in the U.S., for example. Um, It's more complex than that. It's more nuanced than that, uh, for sure. So anyways, that's that's fantastic. I want to get into some specific examples uh, here in just a minute, but also to to highlight perhaps uh, or summarize even a little bit of of what you just said. Um, it's, It's my understanding then, based on what you just said, that the more specialized your position and role within an organization and what you're doing for them, likely the, the greater chance that a non-compete could hold up if you were to leave and go somewhere else because you're doing stuff um, that is much more specialized for the organization. But if I'm, if I'm a general like salesperson or you know, kind of a lower level employee in say Adobe, um, that's a, a company that's headquartered here locally in Utah and I want to leave and they want me to, I don't even know if Adobe has non-competes in, in this way, but they want to have a non-compete for someone who say, says, you know, they work at the front desk or something. They don't want them to go work for Qualtrics, which is down the street. My guess is that that wouldn't hold up because there'd be no legitimate reason for that kind of a, an expansive restriction on that person's employability. But if you had someone who is high level, um, you know, in the technology area and, and privy to all sorts of trade secrets that perhaps that would be a situation where it would make much more sense. You're, you're 100% correct. And to expand on that, uh, number one, many of the state laws that are um, being promulgated now and passing, including um, the ones in, in uh, you know, Nevada, all the way from Nevada to Rhode Island, um, are prohibiting non-competes for hourly workers or for non-exempt workers because of what you just said, that there's no, not, there's not necessarily a legitimate reason to prevent an hourly worker from going from employer A to employer B. Now, take someone, let's compare and contrast that to someone who has two different things. Now, you mentioned the confidential information, which um, in many instances is a legitimate thing to protect. And in fact, New York law wants to see that. If, they, if there's going to be an enforcement of a non-compete, New York looks at whether or not the employee had confidential information that requires protecting um, to protect the employee employer. But number two is customer relationships. So customer relationships are found to be a protectable interest if the employer entrusted the employee with that relationship, um, as opposed to the employee necessarily being be bringing the relationship to the employer. The, the case law talks about um, when the employer provides the employee with the weapons, puts in the employee's hands the weapons that can harm the employer, and then leaves and uses those weapons against the employer. And I find it very interesting that courts, uh, case law, use these these war terms, these battle terms, because it's what it is. It's a battle between um, the former employer, the former employee, and the new employer, and all three have a stake. But to get back to your original uh, comment, you're absolutely right that the, the mere preventing an employee to go work for a competitor without proving the legitimate interest of the former employer is generally in most states, I don't know every single state, but in most states where, where I've uh, had cases, which I've had significant cases across the country, um, that's not enough 
to enforce a non-compete. You can't simply stop the movement of capital because you don't want your competitor to get the employee. You have to prove if that, if that competitor got this employee, the former employer would be harmed in one of these ways that we just talked about. So yes, all of your comments were spot on. And, and that is the trend to start limiting non-competes from uh, so that hourly workers uh, cannot be affected in their in in their free movement, the free movement of human capital. And then one other thing on that same topic um, is that if the employer can prove that the employee will harm the employer by either what it possesses in its in its um, mind, the trade secrets, et cetera, or documentation that it that it, that it took, um, or the customer relationship, the court will be much more inclined to enforce a non-compete so long as it's reasonable in its scope and in its time and in its geography. And again, the scope of the limitation is very important. If the employee only worked, um, let, let's take uh, your example of, of a, a, um, an, a company like an Adobe, and again, I don't represent Adobe, and I don't know, um, I, I, I use their product, full disclosure, but um, let's say they've got a highly uh, high level um, uh, researcher and uh, code programmer and knows all the inner workings of how Adobe works. And that person, if they were able to bring that code to Adobe competitor X, well, Adobe would have a much stronger case uh, to enforce that non-compete than the hourly worker who um, it, it does not know the inner workings of the organization. Um, and also one last thing on that topic, those employers who you know, use non-competes as a blunderbuss and give it to every single employee, no matter who they are, including a secretary and an administrative assistant, that waters down and makes the non-compete much less likely to be enforceable by a court because the court is going to look at these things that we're talking about, um, such as um, why are you giving your non-compete to a, a administrative assistant who can't hurt you because it, it, for the reason we're talking about, it's only to prevent your competitor from getting uh, these employees. And there's no valid reason to do that, the courts have said, um, yeah. if that's the sole reason. So, yeah, so your questions yeah. uh, were spot on. Yeah, so I, a bit of a tangential but related question. I know that I would not want to work for an organization that had really restrictive non-competes in place. Like if, if that was a, a term of my employment, to go work for them. I honestly, I, it would take a lot for me to want to go work for an organization, especially where I'm contributing a lot of my own intellectual capital uh, and those sorts of things. I, and I, I know I have options. I have, I want flexibility to be able to do what I want and perhaps go to another organization or even do my own um, side hustle, my own consulting work or start my own organization at some point, man, I, I would have a hard time that would be a, a big uh, pill to swallow for me to sign a restrictive non-compete uh, with an organization. Um, yet I've seen that I've seen restrictive non-competes. I've seen um, really in my view, overly restrictive um, non-disclosure or conflict of interest types of documents that they want you to sign. Uh, and, and in most cases, it's just not something I'm, I'm willing to do. I'm wondering if, if you have a sense of in this labor market, um, what that's looking like for employers who might, on their end, they might want that protection um, because that gives them more security, that gives them 
you know, helps them to hang on to their talent, but on the other hand, could actually hurt their recruitment of bringing good talent in in the first place. One hundred percent. And you just said labor market and the two things that impact an employee's ability to negotiate a non-compete. And and by the way, if anyone listening is dealing with this issue now, the time to negotiate a non-compete is before you get into the company and before you sign it. Don't try. I mean, you're not gonna be able to do it afterwards. So so when you're negotiating that job and and the employer gives you the non-compete and says, oh, by the way, you have to sign this um, and you and you employee should make that inquiry before um, you start at the company. And we can talk about um, the legality of an employer giving a non-compete to an employee after they start in a moment. And some laws are now preventing that, including Massachusetts. Um, But the two issues here are bargaining power of the employee, bargaining power of the company, and the market forces. Uh, Because, uh, and and again, it's cyclical. So right now, um, we have a situation where the companies are fighting for employees, right? So the employee's bargaining power is much, much stronger than it was, say, uh, 2013 to 2021, where after the Great Recession, employees were, were looking and looking and looking. And there's so many professions where employers could take their pick and the employers would say, yeah, you want this job, sign here, or we'll move on to the next one. And it's so interesting. I'm not a labor economist, but it's so interesting how the market forces, A, have changed, and B, impact the um, acceptability of restrictive covenants such as non-competes. So 100% right. If you, uh, and by the way, I should, uh, I should preface this by saying, I'm pri- I primarily represent management, but when it comes to restrictive covenant agreements, I represent both sides um, because it's a contract and it's a unique contract. Um, and often I get hired by the new employer to fight the non-compete on behalf of the employee. Sometimes I'm hired by the, um, more often, or equally often I'm hired by the former employer to go after the employee and the non-compete. Um, but, I, but I represent both sides because it's this, this battle of, uh, you know, it, it's an intellectual battle, um, but I don't wanna um, in any way diminish the importance of it. People's careers are won and lost over non-competes, whether they could go to um, a, a competitor or not, or, or go to the job of their choice um, or not. So these are very important documents. Um, So with that in mind, I will say this to the employee, know your bargaining power, um, number one. And if you're strong and can negotiate it, do it. If you're weak and you can't, well, then you need to think about, hey, I just have to sign on a dotted line. But let's also talk about the employee who has a customer base. Because if you're bringing your customer base with you, to where at whatever company you're going and and there's many many different industries that are looking for that book of business right so if you're bringing it and they want you to sign it on compete if you don't carve out your customer base when you come to the to the new company the new company is going to say we own that now and you can't solicit that customer base when you leave so it's extremely important that when, if you're willing to sign a non-compete or a non-solicitation covenant, and, and let me, after I say this last thing, let me explain the difference between the two. You should, call, you must carve out your current book, unless, of course, the employer is saying, no, 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 we're taking you on and paying you all this money and giving you a sign-on bonus and this commission base for your book. So 
you're not going to be able to solicit this book again once you leave here. And there are a lot of uh, employees who go from place to place to place with their book and, and you know, try to uh, try to keep soliciting the same book. So employee, really important that you carve out your book. Employer, really important as to what your intent is. Do you need this employee so badly that you're going to allow them to carve out their book? Or are you going to say, no, 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 we're, we're taking your book and we need to make money on it. We're paying you a lot of money and it's going to be ours when you're gone. And often there's negotiations on that as well. But the, uh, the message is, if you've got the bargaining strength to negotiate, negotiate. But don't go in blind and think that five years from now, um, you're going to be able to take your book with you if you're the employee or if you're the employer side. Uh, five years from now, you're not going to have a fight over that book. But very briefly, the difference between a non-compete and a non-solicitation covenant, um, they're both restrictions. They're both um, restraints on trade. Be, but they're different, obviously, because a non-compete covenant prohibits an employee from going to work for a competitor. A non-solicitation covenant, which are much more, um, uh, they're upheld much more than uh, by courts than non-competes, um, according to the, the, the contractual terms, of course, as we just discussed. But they are, mean, the non-solicitation covenants mean that the employee can't solicit either um, customers or prospects or employees of their employer when they leave. So again, very important that that um, non-solicitation covenant be negotiated if it is important to the employee and or employer at the time. Um, and then later as well, and not only at the time, but at the time of enforcement as well. Um, one other yeah. thing I mentioned, I just wanna talk about consideration because it's an important legal aspect and a lot of people don't understand what consideration is. Um, I mentioned that if an employer gives a non-compete or, or non-solicitation covenant to an employee after employment has started, there must be consideration for it. When an employer gives a, uh, an, an applicant a non-compete or non-solicitation covenant at the time of employment, the consideration is the employment. So we know that there's valid consideration at the time. Consideration means the promise between the, the two, uh, the employee and the employer. Um, the, one is being bound to, uh, to do something and one is being bound to do something else. And that's the simplest way to look at consideration. But many courts require that there be valuable consideration, meaning money exchanged, when uh, an employee is signing this covenant. Again, in the first instance, employment is considered valuable and money is exchanged by the employee providing services and the employer paying for those services and providing bonuses and commissions. But if an employer six months or a year into an employment relationship, all of a sudden springs a non-compete or non-solicitation covenant on an employee, that employer must make sure that there is consideration for that agreement or it may not, not be valid at the time of enforcement. So what is the consideration? Some courts hold that the threat of termination and continuing employment is consideration. Some courts hold you have to give monetary consideration. Um, some courts look at midstream, what we call midstream non-competes as invalid. So um, very, very important that employers understand the law if they don't have restrictive covenant agreements now and they wanna give them to employees in, the, in the, what we call midstream employment in the middle of employment. Very, very technical and very important aspect when it comes yeah. to enforcement. Yeah, well, Josh, this is just also fascinating. And I know we've just scratched the surface we could go a mile deeper in all Good. of this. 
Uh, but I also note the time and I'm going to have to let you go here in just a minute to get back to your busy day. So we're going to close there for now, but I welcome you back anytime so we can continue the conversation and even talk about other employment law topics. Uh, Before we close today, I wanted to give you a chance to share with listeners how they can connect with you, find out more about your work, uh, how they can connect with your firm, uh, and then give us a final word on the topic for today. Sure. Thanks, John. Uh, Much appreciated. I've really enjoyed the dialogue. Uh, So I'm with the firm uh, Pullman & Common LLC. We have offices in, as you noted, uh, New York, Connecticut, Massachusetts, and Rhode Island. My practice is um, a nationwide practice because I have clients all over the country. Um, And so assist them uh, nationwide. Um, And I focus on employment law, but restrictive covenants, uh, such as what we've been talking about, are really uh, one of my loves, intellectual loves. And also when it comes to litigating them, drafting them, litigating them, um, it's something that's a large part of my practice and enjoy doing it for my clients. Wonderful. Thank you, Josh. It's been a pleasure. I encourage listeners to reach out, get connected, find out more about what Josh can do for you. And as always, I hope everyone can stay healthy and safe that you can find meaning and purpose at work each and every day. And I hope you all have a great week. Do you enjoy the Human Capital Innovations Podcast? Enjoy ad-free listening by going to the Patreon page. And please consider contributing even at the producer or sponsorship level. And please leave a review. Thank you for your support. Thanks again for joining us for this episode of the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. I hope you stay healthy and safe and that you have a great week.